Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. What we realize is we need to move potentially thousands of people off of this hillside down into the flats during a wildfire. Mm -hmm. Todd Lando is giving me a tour of the narrow roads that wind their way through the hills of Corte Madera in Marin County. He's the executive director of Fire Safe Marin, a nonprofit helping to promote fire safety. And when it comes to fire safety, there's a lot of work to be done here. This, is, this I think, it's where the work is happening right now. I think we'll, we're, I'm not exactly sure where they are, but we're probably going to come across our crews. Todd's keeping an eye out for any overgrown brush encroaching on these cramped roads. Uh, because it slows people down when they're evacuating. It leans out into the roadway. It forces people to drive closer to the center line of the road. He just said evacuating. In fact, these roads will be crucial during any evacuation of the nearby hillside communities. So Todd is helping to coordinate vegetation removal teams that, for the past few weeks, have been hard at work getting rid of any plants that could be an obstacle. On narrow streets like these, tree trimming and wood chipping is difficult, cramped, slow-going work. But this is just one project in one community to solve one very specific problem. In fact, dozens upon dozens of communities throughout California are designated as high fire hazard severity zones. So the real project to get the state ready for this year's major fires involves thousands of people, millions of dollars, and as it turns out, quite a few goats. I'm Keith Menconi. This is In Depth, and this week on the program, we're going to be talking about that work and what we, as average citizens, should be doing to help out. This is the first time I've been up here since they finished this section. Back to Todd Lando now as he surveys the progress of the vegetation removal work crews. This was impenetrable vegetation mm. just a week ago. Vegetation mm. leaning out on both sides of the road all the way into the roadway. Whereas it's a narrow street right now, you couldn't see the house that's at the end in this turn here because of the vegetation leaning into the roadway. Lando has got a few different hats here. He's a vegetation management and wildfire specialist for the Central Marin Fire Department. But he's also helping to coordinate the work of FireWise. That's a federally backed national program which recognizes communities that meet certain fire safety standards and provides those communities with support. So that's more the grassroots ends of things. And he says that angle, you know, getting residents on board with fire prevention work, it's crucial. And, and there are a few hillside communities that are not engaged. The homeowners just haven't, I mean, I hate to say this, they haven't woke up yet. 
those communities aren't getting the attention right now because it's so important for us to work with them. But that's all beginning to change. The Firewise program has seen a spike in interest over the last few years as news breaks of one devastating fire after another. Lando, who's been working with residents for years, has seen the changing attitudes firsthand. The sense of urgency has dramatically increased. The community is aware for the first time in my 30-year career. I, I see people really clamoring, reaching out to us for information, organizing their own neighborhoods, working with their neighbors better than they ever have in the past to try, try, try to uh, you know, reduce the risk at home. Uh, significant uh, uptick in the amount of interest in what we provide, which is a fantastic thing. You know, I'd, I'd say that uh, before 2015, the Valley Fire in, in uh, Lake County was the first of this series of catastrophic fires, I think, close to home. Um, before 2015, we really had to reach out and, uh, and recruit hard to get three or four people to show up to one of our seminars or meetings. Now it's standing room only, you know, uh, uh, and we're, we're packing the house, you know, multiple nights each week with training and seminars and, and educational opportunities for residents. So on the one hand, this sense of urgency has given fire personnel a little bit more elbow room to carry out needed projects. This vegetation project we've been discussing, for example, well, it's noisy and it blocks streets. And Lando says it never would have happened if residents didn't understand why the work is needed. There would have just been too much pushback. On the other hand, the recent fires have also given communities the motivation to put in the fire prevention elbow grease themselves. What I mean by this is to get recognized as a firewise community, these communities actually need to show up and do some work. So, for example, requirements include uh, forming local committees, performing a risk assessment, developing an action plan, and, crucially, carrying out fire prevention volunteer work. Cut grass, cut weeds, remove vegetation, trim back trees. Um, removing juniper is something we're encouraging them to do. So we've seen neighborhood work parties where they go out and target a specific plant species that we know to be hazardous. Juniper is the worst of all of them. So we're, we're encouraging these neighborhoods to go out, identify the juniper, identify the people who need help removing it, and work together to do it. So it's not just slapping on a bumper sticker and calling it a day. The program takes work, which makes that spike in interest even more significant. Lando says so far in Marin, there's almost 60 active FireWise communities. Those communities are engaged in, in work parties and education almost every day. Uh, you know, we have events. Uh, we'll help them organize community work parties. Really popular for them to host community chipper days where they hire a tree company, share the cost in the community. Sometimes it, we help cover it with grants from FireSafe Marin to bring a, a tree service in to dispose of vegetation. Um, we encourage them, to, the communities, to identify vulnerable neighbors. You know, a lot of times it's an elderly neighbor, somebody who's lived there, probably paid taxes and kept great uh, maintenance in their yard for generations, but now they've reached a point in their life where they can't keep up with, with maintaining their property. So we, we encourage the neighbors to go and create a work party to go help that elderly neighbor out. 
we encourage them to identify people who might have special needs in the community and give them assistance through vegetation clearance or just assistance around the house, assistance with evacuation planning. And has enthusiasm and willingness to participate. I mean, again, this is another example of something that takes, it's a bit of a burden. It takes time out of people's day. It's hard work. Is this something that's uh, seen a little bit more enthusiasm as well? A huge amount of enthusiasm. We're seeing you know, a lot of energy being put into these work parties, a lot of energy being put into the community chipper days. And, and we find that the FireWise program helps encourage it. We, we even locally um, encourage some healthy uh, um, competition among neighbors. We'll, we'll let the, the one neighborhood know that the neighborhood next door cleared more vegetation than them and that, that next weekend they should go out and work more. And we've even seen some healthy wagers between uh, neighborhoods where they say who, whoever uh, clears the least vegetation has to host the barbecue and buy the beer. You know, so, works uh, in third grade classrooms, works. <laughs> absolutely. It uh, works really well here in Marin. And, and it's interesting, I think, the FireWise program has been as much a community-building exercise as anything. Uh, w- one of the big challenges we've run into is getting neighbors to talk to neighbors. We've, I think we've lost the art of talking over our fences and getting to know our neighbors. Uh, and that's become an impediment to reducing vegetation. We, we get calls every day from neighbors who say, I don't know my neighbor, but they have a tree that's leaning onto my property. Can you help me get them to remove it? They, you know, the people tend to think that that tree is a huge fire hazard, whether it is or not. But what we say is that, that, that we can provide some education, we can provide some support for it, but really what's needed to get that or the results is a knock on the neighbor's door and probably, you know, a, a bottle of wine and a sit-down discussion. Uh, uh, you know, that, that's far more effective than having the fire department or a fire inspector come knock on the door. That, that neighborliness is, is a lost art, and it's something we're really working to bring back to help ironically reduce the fire hazard here. Want to remind our listeners, you're listening to KCBS In-Depth. This week we're talking about what it takes to get California ready for fire season. Now for the news you can use part of the show. How can we keep our homes safe from wildfires? I, I think the, the first thing people need to do is learn about hardening your home. As in, doing the upkeep and making the small changes that are necessary to make your home more resistant to fire. Hardening your home is looking for vulnerabilities to the tiny windblown embers that float ahead of a fire usually. We look at the roof, the materials a roof, a roof is made from, the uh, fallen vegetation that collects in rain gutters and on roofs. We're looking at things like the vents that go into attic spaces and crawl spaces. We want to see that those are protected so that embers can't enter those spaces. We, uh, we look at deck surfaces, even things as simple as the front doormat. A jute fiber, natural fiber doormat is vulnerable to igniting if an ember lands on it. So hardening the home is the first thing every, every homeowner should focus on. All right, well, that's step one. Secure the home. Check. But also important, securing the space around your home. And here's where that familiar term, defensible space, is going to come into our conversation. Yeah, so defensible space is the area, the landscaping around a house, really starting at your outside walls and moving in California, we consider 100 feet from the structure um, to be the area that should be maintained as defensible space. And it's where you're going to maintain landscaping, maintain plants, whether it's their plants that you've put there or native vegetation. 
um, in a state that's less conducive to fire. A state, uh, you know, through maintenance and irrigation, removing dead wood, dead material, cutting grasses, limbing up trees, you're maintaining your environment in a way that, that reduces the intensity of a fire as it gets closer to your home. And something that people may not realize is that defensible space, it does mean, you know, all that area around your home. But some of the most critical area is the the three to five feet directly around the, the structure itself. Yeah, th- this has been a, a, a renewed emphasis from us to, to tell people that the, the most important part to focus on is that the first five feet. Um, we, we're seeing ordinances adopted in Marin, in fact, probably some of the first in the state that will eliminate all combustibles, plants and other combustibles within the first five feet of a home. The town of Mill Valley is adopting an ordinance right now that will, will eliminate the ability to have any vegetation immediately adjacent to a home. Uh, as far as defensible space goes, there's probably no better approach to reducing the, the chances that a home will ignite. As far as landscaping, people also need to be conscious of the sorts of landscaping that is around their house. Any advice for landscaping that is going to be more fire resilient than others? Yeah, absolutely. We, we strong. No juniper bushes, I take it? Yeah, the juniper bushes uh, in particular, you know, there are a handful of, of individual plant species that are extraordinarily hazardous. Juniper is the top of that list. Italian cypress is another. Bamboo, black acacia are all ones that we're, we're targeting. You know, just the native grasses that grow and dry out in Northern California are a real vulnerability if you don't cut them. Um, that, that said, breaking up your landscape using a lot of hardscaping paths, retaining walls, it's a great way to stop the spread of fire. Um, people need to focus on things like the mulch they use in their yards. We don't want to see any combustible mulch, whether it's bark or certainly not like shredded redwood bark, sometimes called the gorilla hair bark. We don't want to see that within five feet of any building at all. We want to see uh, heavier bark mulch to retain moisture as you move farther away from buildings and a careful choice of landscaping plants. I recommend looking at your local fire safe council. Like, like fire safe Marin, we offer a plant list to help homeowners select plants that are easier to maintain and are more resistant to igniting during a fire. Um, and yeah, focusing on that defensible space is critical as long as you do it in conjunction with the home hardening techniques. Now, as far as financial support goes, what's out there to help homeowners make some of these changes or perform some of this maintenance? Well, it's kind of a patchwork out there. And what might be available for you depends a lot on where you live. Fire Safe Marin and local fire safe councils throughout the Bay Area, throughout the state, provide some level of support. We provide uh, uh, neighborhood level grants for chipper days. We encourage uh, um, application of grant funds from Cal Fire, state, federal, local sources to bring grant money into neighborhoods to assist neighbors. But right now there's not a lot of, uh, there's, there's really not a lot of direct funding available to homeowners. It's a question we get every day. So here, doing your own research is key. Ultimately, I think it's up to the individual homeowner to recognize that the best thing they can do to protect their home and their family is invest in the maintenance of their own property. So mm. right now, it's really up to the individual homeowners to take the action and you know, make their own property safer. It can definitely be a lot to take on. But Lando says the evidence is pretty clear that this work, hardening homes, increasing that defensible space really does make a difference, and we've actually seen some real-world tests. 
2008 is a magic year for us. It was the year that California adopted the, the wildfire building standards, the wildland urban interface building standards. And what we found during the, the uh, campfire in Paradise last year is that 51% of the homes built after 2008, so built to that current standard, survived. Uh, a tremendous difference, almost three times as many homes survived when they were built to the current building code. And that's really getting back to what I said earlier, that, that the science, the materials you need to build a wildfire-resistant home, are, they're all here. They're on the shelf at your local, your local hardware store. Um, you can find everything you need, all of the information you need to build a home that will survive these wildfires right now. There's no magic to it. We're, we don't need to wait for some new technology that's just around the corner. We know how to do it today. So perhaps this is a good time to jump back in for a moment to mention that this portion of the interview was actually carried out in a big field right next to a pretty sizable herd of goats. Unfortunately for my audio purposes, they weren't really in the bleating kind of mood, more in the rustle around and stare at my microphone without making a sound kind of mood. But that's fine, because these goats are also on Team Fire Prevention. Their role to play in all this chomping on many different kinds of vegetation, clearing it out, creating more defensible space, basically acting like living, breathing lawnmowers. So this is yet another kind of fire prevention work that Lando is helping to oversee. And I only bring this up because it's one more illustration of the fact that there is no shortage of ways to fight fire and therefore no shortage of work to be done. You know, in following you around today and seeing all the different kinds of work that go into this, you know, you have a work party there, you have crews out there, you have goats here. It, it does seem like something that takes a village. It takes so many different things coming together to, uh, to, to really make communities resilient to fire. How, how confident are you that the work is being done this year to really bring it all together? Uh, the work's being done, and it's been done for years and years. Uh, you know, the community is aware of the work we're doing right now and supporting it in ways they haven't in the past. But but I'm absolutely confident that what we're doing is, is and will continue to be effective, but we need to do more. There's no doubt about it. This is a drop in the bucket. We, we will make an impact on, on communities in Marin and through the Bay Area in Northern California with the work we're doing, but we have to continue it. This is not something we do in 2019 and we're done with it. This is just got to become part of our lifestyle it's part of the way we need to live in northern california uh, we, we are always going to have wildfires and we're always going to have to do this kind of work to maintain our properties we're going to have to accept that we need to build homes that are resilient to wildfires we need to retrofit our current building stock the houses that are out there right now that were built prior to 2008 really need to be upgraded and that's going to be through encouraging homeowners to take it on themselves probably through things like tax incentives certainly through building codes and retrofitting uh, you know remodels uh, and, and over time we're going to build a much more resilient community And once again, that was Todd Lando, the executive coordinator at FireSafe Marin. You can learn more about some of the programs we've discussed, including FireWise, by visiting the show page for this episode of KCBS In-Depth. Just head on over to kcbsradio.com and look for the latest. Got it. Okay, good.
Now, another group that's also hard at work this fire season are the firefighters themselves. Fire crews are also out clearing vegetation, sometimes with prescribed burns. And they're also keeping their skills sharp with many, many training exercises. This kind of training is important because even if the season hasn't been particularly severe so far, when it comes to fire, it's almost impossible to predict what's going to happen next. Well, we always uh, start our fire seasons as if it is going to be bad, obviously. That's Cal Fire Battalion Chief Lucas Spellman. We have to be prepared regardless of what the fire season looks like uh, well ahead of time. So we've we've had firefighters prepared. Uh, we have... Uh, all of our firefighters that are full-time, they've always been training throughout the winter time because that's our good time, obviously, to train and to get things going. If at all possible, you don't want your first fire to be the first fire that you came back from uh, being laid off as a firefighter. You'd like to put a, a hose in your hand before that to polish it so you're ready to go at 100% when you are are tasked with fighting a fire. So a lot's being done, a lot of work going on, but really the main reason I wanted to get Chief Spellman on the show is so that we could pick the brain of a fire professional to get us prepared mentally for fire season by giving us a refresher course of sorts on wildfire basics. First thing we're going to work on, know your news. You know, reports about fire, even from a great station like KCBS, can be confusing if you don't know what to listen for. So we're going to hit a couple of fire news basics right now, starting with how do those fires get their names? Spoiler alert, the campfire was not started by a campfire. Yeah, so the I'll give you a little history lesson on it. Originally, we would have uh, on fires, we would have uh, the first arriving fire engine would actually name the fire. And so as time went on, uh, it wouldn't always lend to a geographical area or like a street or something like that. And maybe the incident commander would become creative with that. And so now we are now we are doing a geographical area, a street name, something that we can tie it to that is very specific to that. So as we. As we talk about like the campfire, um, we're not naming it after anything that might have caused it. It's named after a geographical area or a street, and that's how it would uh, be generated to that. Uh, Sometimes there's extremely long street names, and obviously they would have to pick something a little bit closer to that because it would be very hard to continually using that as a, as a name over the radio. But uh, most of the time I find that uh, it's either the area or a street name that would uh, be the fire's name. All right. So hopefully that clears up a little bit of confusion for our listeners. Uh, moving on, let's move on to the term of containment. Uh, this is a term that you're, you're bound to hear this year. Uh, if you listen to KCBS at all about any of the fires that we're covering, you're going to hear us talking about 15% containment. Now the fire is 20% contained, 100% contained. What are we talking about when we talk about containment? You know, and that's a great question. Um, The big thing for people to understand about containment is it's not tied to the progression of the fire. And a lot of people think, well, the fire must still be burning. It's at 10%. And so something always to look for is that the rate of spread has been stopped. That would tell you 
that the fire has been essentially stopped, not completely put out, but the fire is no longer burning forward and uh, consuming more acres. Uh, the, the percentage of containment means is that around the fire, in every single fire, no matter how big it is, we have to put a dirt line that we scrape by hand, and that's where our hand crews and hot shots throughout the state uh, come out, but they'll actually scrape it down to bare dirt, and it separates the burnt area, which we call the black, and the green area, which is the brush, even though most of the time it's brown in color. And so what that does is every time we get a section of that, that's the percentage we're talking about. So when we say there's 10% of the fire has been contained, that means 10% of the outer portion of the fire has dirt separating the burned part, the black, and the green part, which is the brush and trees. And sometimes we call it just a scratch line where they just dig it up. If it's a small fire, it may only be a foot or two wide. But if you're in a forest, that might have to be hundreds of feet wide. It may take bulldozers to do that because we don't want trees falling over the line and causing a fire. And, and so when we say it's 100%, we know at 100%, if we drive away from that fire, we know that no matter how windy it gets, no matter what happens, that the fire won't jump over that line. And that's why it always takes a lot longer for the containment number to go up than you seeing smoke because sometimes you'll see a fire and it's at 70% contained, but you haven't seen smoke for two days. Well, it just takes time for those crews to work their way around the fire to put it 100% out. All right. And uh, the last topic I want to touch on before you go, you know, keeping it focused on what to do when a fire actually arises, what are the sources of information that you're hoping that people will refer to or be aware of when the disaster situation occurs? Well, the biggest thing for us is um, if there's a fire in your area, I always find that people always want to call to see if it's safe for them to stay. And I think at, for ourselves, if you ever feel like that you're in danger, you probably are. And, the, and if you evacuated your home well before the fire got there and you were safe and the fire never got to your area, all it would be is an inconvenience that you had left your house. But when you stay, then you're putting your life at danger. And so that's what we want people to do is to be prepared and to always be ready to leave early. Because as we saw in some of the fires this year, um, there were so many people who stayed so long that it actually created a traffic jam within the fire area. Uh, so you just mentioned the CAL FIRE app. Is that the best source for official fire information as it's emerging? The app is very helpful. It does have a area on the app that allows you to be notified of fires in your area. But the best place, the quickest information you can get is your local uh, what we call a unit, which is a geographical area in CAL FIRE. So whatever fire department CAL FIRE you are, you can actually get onto their Facebook or Twitter account, and that will have the exact time that they release that information will be the quickest, because then we take that information and put it on the app. So there could be a um, just a little delay between the app and the local. And so uh, wherever you live throughout the 21 units throughout the state, each of them has a Twitter and a Facebook account that you can get that information real time from them when they release it. 
And so that's your best bet. Um, and obviously your app has your secondary, uh, which is very convenient. All right. And that was Lucas Spellman, Cal Fire Battalion Chief. Of course, also have to remind our listeners that radio is another great source of information during a disaster, uh, whether it's KCBS or any other radio station that might be broadcasting in your area. Even if power goes down locally or the Internet goes down locally, the radio keeps broadcasting and so will continue to keep you abreast of information as it's available. So great resource there, of course. Remember to keep it tuned. You have been listening to KCBS In-Depth. That is going to do it for the show today. Remember, you can find past editions of the program online at our website, kcbsradio.com. You can also find links to many of the resources we've discussed on the program today there as well. Just look for the show notes for this episode. Rounding things out for KCBS and In-Depth, I'm Keith Benconi. Stay safe out there. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program for all news 740 and FM 1069, KCBS. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.